Welcome to the Chuan Chuan Podcast, a bilingual podcast where every episode we use English and Chinese to explore various social, cultural, and contemporary issues in the aim of giving our listeners a useful tool to improve either or both their English or Chinese language ability. This is the second part of the Island Podcast Part Two.、Uh, yeah, but, <laughs> but I think we should.、Um... We should try and so we should try and bring it back to equal opportunities. So you're saying that I guess what you're trying to say is you've already accepted that the island is going to need a certain amount of taxation anyway. And are you saying that some of that could go to helping、uh, create conditions for creating more equal opportunities than there would be without any rules? I think so. Yeah. I mean. Basically, it's a collective level taxation, and it's not based on. It might not even be based on income. I haven't really decided that yet. But it would be everyone gets taxed kind of equally. I'm not sure if that equals a percentage or not. I'm guessing it would be.、Um, so even if you are the farmers that just got by in our other example,、um, you would equally pay for defense, and you would equally pay for creating the equal opportunity. Equal opportunity for your children as well, as well as the lumberjack's children. You know, it could be the same way. Like, even if the lumberjacks are rich now, it doesn't really matter because I mean, it could come a time where it rains a lot, and then you can't. All the wood is ruined, and now they become、yeah. they go from rich to poor. Right? It's a kind of insurance in a way. It's kind、yeah. of a national insurance. Yeah. So the other interesting thing about the island though is that if it was small enough, I think everyone would more or less have an equal opportunity anyway. So, for example, if there was only one school on the island, we probably wouldn't run into this problem. So, we probably need to think about the size at some point. It does actually start to make a difference.、Um, I'm inclined to—I don't know. Actually, I don't know how to choose the size. What, what, what do you mean by the size? Like, what is the what's the problem with the size? So, if we only had say a hundred people on the island, actually, the size would grow naturally.、Um, But at least for the foreseeable future, we wouldn't have a bunch of different schools. We might only have one school for everyone, for for even like a few generations. So, and I think education is going to be a big part of what contributes towards having、um, equal opportunity. So, if we're trying to,、um, let's not think that.、Though. Let's let's assume that eventually we're going to have a, a decent sized nation, and we we don't want to have to change up. We want our rules to be able to work. When the when the nation is small and when the le- nation has like ten million people,、mm-hmm. so I really think in society at the moment what we have is is like you are we are what, like you wouldn't watch a race if someone's like ten meters from the finish line and someone's like hundred meters from the finish line, and <laughs> we can definitely say that that is what happens、um, with children these days. Now this is why I like things like in the UK we have grammar schools, and that means that. Even if you don't have money to get like a private school type education, if you can show that you have potential,、um, it's like society has provided a place where we can take people who have that ability, but and、uh, help them up, right? And I really like that. I benefit from that myself, and、um, I think that's like an example of some of like a good middle ground. So we're not we're not trying to completely level everything. We're just trying to acknowledge that that it, it is inherently unfair, and we can do something about it. Yeah, I think that makes sense.、Um, 
on the grammar school example, I'm just thinking um, you may not have you may not have been as rich as everyone else, so you might not be able to get into a private school, but you were born with probably an IQ that's higher than average. So you you were able to get into the grammar school. And I mean, are we accounting for this kind of thing as well? Like, what about the poor? Now, this is and, a very interesting point. Yeah, the, the poor and quote, you know, in, in PC is where they can say it, stupid person. <laughs> that was not PC at all. <laughs> okay, let's say uh, poor and... Uh, <laughs> You know, low IQ. <laughs> Even less. All right. <laughs> is, that, is that not PC? <laughs> you can say high IQ. Why can't you say low IQ? <laughs> not a chance that that's PC. <laughs> okay. Well, let's just run with that. The low IQ and poor person. Okay. So you could say, I'm going to, so this kind of turns my argument against myself because my argument is focusing on wealth, but equally, people's IQ. People are not responsible for their IQ yep. or any of their in- innate talents. I mean, it's not just so, that, right? It could be a lot of innate things, right? Like in the island, it could be, I don't know, fruit pickers. And they're the rich ones because they're taller. They don't have to climb up the tree to get it or something like that, right? You know, you might genetically be taller. Mm. Basketball players. Mm. Okay. So then, so my initial gut reaction is that we shouldn't seek to redistribute those things because they are no one is in control of how those are distributed and is money being wealthy is also not i mean you could being born to a wealthy family is almost like those other things because it is something that is being given to you innately and you don't have any responsibility over it 100%. but if you follow the argument from the if you, if you want to stay consistent with saying that, yeah, being tall and IQ is also not given to you, basically that argument does not become a reason for distribution. So the fact that something is given to you and it wasn't, and you had nothing to do with it is not in and of itself an argument that it should be redistributed. Yes. In fact, just, it goes back to the same thing, right? We, or we actually never addressed this with the farmers and the lumberjacks, right? The farmers' children, if they get redistribution, where is that redistribution coming from? It's coming from the rich kids, right? And, you know, they, yes. they didn't do anything to be born rich, but they were given something they were, when they were young, and now it's been taken away from them. Yes. Unless you pre- preemptively take it away from them. But, like, you know, like, they, they, they knew how rich their fathers were. Yes. Yeah. So now I don't know. Now I'm not sure, basically. I mean, we seem to be arguing that there should be no, no redistribution whatsoever. So I'm not saying that, right? I'm saying that like it's mm. not called a redistribution, and it's not just the name itself. It's just the way that you do it. The distribution comes from um, you essentially tax everyone the same percentage, but obviously because of the percentages, I guess the rich give a greater absolute portion away, and that helps. That basically means that they um, they are contributing more to the kind of national insurance, if you will, and even though the farmers are paying their same percentage, they're, they're much poorer, so they can't, they, they won't be paying the same much, the same amount mathematically, but in percentage wise, they are fairly distributing their income back into the pool. But you're not punishing. That may not be enough, though. No. So <clears throat> I think it's going to be more useful to try and figure out exactly what happens in, in our current um, societies. So a child, what, okay, 
this is what we should figure out. What specific advantages does a child have by being born rich? So you can say a better education. Um, but why exactly, though? I mean, let's, 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 go, let's go even go back, step back from that, right? If you're born wealthy, yeah. you don't have to think about anything in terms of... Um, you know, danger or safety or health, right? Like you have enough food, you have enough clothes, so you're warm. You don't get blisters because you have shoes. Like all these kind of things that you might have to work. You'd have to work when you're a kid because your parents don't have any money, right? Like that would affect you even before the education part, right? So, I mean, like you might not even be able to go to school because you are too poor. Like because you physically have to work, not because you couldn't even afford to go to free school. It's like you have to work because you have no food. But that, so there's an argument that that could be better for you. There's an argument that that could motivate you to want to become an entrepreneur, to work, to develop skills. And because you have this childhood experience of what it's like to be poor, you, you don't, um, you know, you don't fall victim to what riches you don't take anything can fall victim to. Yep. So, yeah. So, but some, but some of the things you said, I don't think are in that category. Some of the things you said, I think, are foundational. Like if you didn't, if you didn't have shoes to go to school, I mean, that's not really teaching anyone anything. No, I don't know, man. You know, that definitely incentivized me to become an entrepreneur. I'd be the best shoemaker in the world. And that's what's so tricky about politics because it it becomes about it's all about the gray area. It's all about to what degree and what counts as extreme and who decides when someone has enough that uh, their circumstances are not significantly holding them back. Those questions, questions are very difficult to answer. My, I think we all probably have a, an idea. So for me, um, I would say, yeah, if you're well-fed, you have good nutrition, you have shelter, you have safety. And in terms of schooling, I'm not actually convinced that the quality of the school is that important. I'm convinced. I think it's the quality of the children that's important. So, from my experience of going how, through how education... Are you, how are you rating quality of children? Children that want to learn. So, for me, the biggest difference I noticed between being in public schools and a not-so-public school is that I wasn't hanging around with the kids that, like, just don't care about their future. And I was suddenly in a situation where... If you got anything less than straight A's, like you were at the bottom. <laughs> so, like, just, just, uh, I think when you're a child, that's you're very important. Yeah. Is super important. Yeah. 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 You're talking about basically, um, positive peer pressure in a way, like your peer group by itself. It's, 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 I mean, I think all of us kind of innately know this, you know, there are like, yeah, the idea that you're the the sum of the five people you're closest to and that kind of thing. I think it really does hold true, especially as a kid, because yeah, you almost don't have any you don't already have your any of your own thoughts when you're so young. You know, you just kind of copy the people around you. That's kinda of how you learn as a child and um the younger you are. So I think the this more is interesting. Yeah. So a lot of our ideas I find tend to be sort of based in the fact that we we're already so used to them that we don't question them. So um, to be more specific, the fact that schooling is compulsory now means that you're always going to have kids that don't want to be there in, in public schools because they have to go. And if we got rid of that, maybe schools would, would improve a lot. And, may, and, you know, why should it... I mean, everyone should learn to read and write, I suppose. But, I mean, if it's at the cost of other kids' education who would otherwise... 
um, go on to do great things, but they get caught up in, in trouble and end up in prison or something, which I think is quite a common story. Um, I don't know. I think that's something that is worth, worth thinking about. No, I like that idea. I think, I mean, I'd extend upon it and just say that if you generalize it, you need the 1% at the top and you need the 1% at the bottom to save the 98% in the middle. Hmm, interesting. Like, you need the people in jail or you need jails themselves to punish people and the people in jail that have suffered that consequence of bad decisions to show to everyone else it's not good to murder people. And in the same way, there you kind of need to let people fall into the bottom 1% to illustrate to the 98% that, you know, this is what will happen if you don't work hard and contribute and study and learn new things and be a productive member of society. And here's the 1% that have made it. I mean, this could be, this doesn't have to be wealth. It's just, it could be, it could be everything, right? It could be the top 1% of sport, the top 1% of, you know, music. Um, it, they're probably going to end up wealthy as well, but like, um, it's not necessarily based on pure wealth that could be a different success success metric yes and i think in i think in society we've got too used to saving that bottom one percent i mean i'm not saying that we should like kill them or anything like that or (laughs) have hundreds of thousands of deaths i'm not saying we should do that but we're so used to having this bottom one percent that to save the bottom one percent that it ends up being with the bottom 20 percent being in poverty because of uh so for example that could be explained by the bad incentives that the welfare state uh, gives to poor people. Exactly. Exactly. It would rise. It, basically, mm-hmm. the people that would be the the other nineteen percent on welfare would rise up because of the incentives that were given to them. As in, they wouldn't have welfare, so they would rise up. And yes, there would definitely be a few that got held behind. But it was it's it's a choice that you can make, right? Just like you say that education is a choice, could be a choice, but it's not a choice right now. That obviously forces maybe 20%, 30% of kids to not even want to be there. And it affects a lot more kids, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So maybe that could solve the education issue. I think think what we're kind of arriving on is that we probably want to establish a base level for children. And But what I'm worried about there is that that's probably what a lot of the welfare state is about. I mean, when you're giving a single mother money because they have a child, that's not really for the mother. It's for the child. And But we know, of course, that that produces bad incentives. Mm. So I guess I don't... I, I actually can't think of a good answer for this. I'm absolutely torn between sympathy for the child and contempt for the parent. <laughs> and like, I don't know which one wins. <laughs> Maybe contempt is too strong. But yeah. So, I mean, if, wait, what problem are you specifically talking about? Equal opportunity for children. So... I think the, a lot of the... So with, with that frame in mind, I don't think it's fair that kids should be born into like a, an absolutely terrible situation, no matter what their parents did, because I believe in equal opportunity. And I don't believe in... We both don't believe in equality of outcome. We both believe in equal, equal opportunity. But I think what, what I often don't hear spoken about is that those two things are directly opposed to each other, in my opinion, when, when it comes to children. So... A practical example in the real world we have now is that I, I'm going to guess, I haven't really looked into this, I'm going to assume that the reason why we give welfare to single parents is going to be 90% for the child. And we're not really that concerned about the parent. Um, but we also know, on the other hand, that that is... So that's for equal opportunity, right? 
But to the extent that that's for equal opportunity, that's going against equal outcome. Yeah, I think um, the problem with giving people money is that obviously they can use it for anything they want. So the the, the mother could use it for herself, right? So it doesn't. It has to mean some of it will trickle down into the into the kid's pocket, his education or whatever. But I mean, maybe most of it won't. So maybe the programs need to be yeah much more specific. So you can't give money. You can't give money to a child. Right, but you know, you could fund after school clubs or um, you could fund things that the kid could do, um, whatever that may be, to make their lives a little bit better that the parent herself couldn't afford to do. But it's interesting, right? So even if the mother, I mean, let's not say that, the single parent spends the money on themselves. I mean, unless they're doing, unless they're spending money on something like that only benefits them, I mean, hopefully they'd be fixing things around the house or like, I don't know, buying a computer, which the kid could use. I don't know. I mean, it's difficult. And I can imagine that from a high up position, probably the best thing you could do is just hope that the parent is going to not be like totally selfish and sort of rely on. I mean, you know, human nature being what it is, especially with mothers. And now I've never thought about this too. Maybe this is why the emphasis is put on mothers because mothers naturally have a tighter bond with their child. So if I was going to choose, if I'm thinking about like evolutionary biology, if I was going to choose which parent I would want to give money to in the hopes that it trickles down to the child, I would give it to the mother. Can we take this a step back? So we're talking about whether or not we should give welfare to people to create equal opportunity, right? Yes. And you're arguing that... For the kid. For the kid. For the kid. It's very important. Yeah. Yeah. So... The kid at this moment in time is a toddler and can't really think for itself and allocate that resource the way an adult could. So you're giving it to the mother to, in the hopes that it gets allocated to some beneficial thing for the child. Yes. Right now, we have things like social services that would take your kid away from you if you malnourished your child or beat your child or something like that, or your child was just wandering around and not being taken care of. Exactly. So now you have the choice between, I mean, we know that it's going to be better for the kid to be with their biological parent um, unless, yeah, unless they're in that situation. But it's not that simple because if you give the parents money, that's probably going to avoid a lot of those situations where the kid ends up being malnourished. But yes, if you gave the parent money and the kid still ended up malnourished, then you would have no choice but to take it away. And that is probably what happens right now. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very, it's a very specific example you came up with, and it's very tough because as soon as like a new person comes out in the world and they can't think or do things for themselves, is it the responsibility of the state or is it the responsibility of the parent? I just think a principle, a strong principle that I've learned from economics is that the individual is what we care about the most. So we're, we're trying to always view things from the point of the individual and. So if we're coming from the child's point of view and they don't have any responsibility over their circumstances, um, what we're saying in society is that we don't care, we don't see any difference between you being born in the ghetto and like Trump's kid. And we're all, we're just arbitrarily choosing to let some individuals start off ahead of others. Okay, I've got a radical idea that goes back towards uh, welfare. So what you're saying is basically... If we have a single parent, we give them money so it can help them with their kid. What if we tax people who are having kids? We tax people that are having kids. Every additional kid you have, 
you get taxed more. Like, right now, it's the opposite, right? You get benefits if you have kids. You, you basically have a reason to, like, have a ton of kids in some countries and uh, almost not even really look after them because, you know, you, you just get money from the government and, like, there's no, like, downside almost. Yeah, but ta- okay, but taxing a parent who can afford to, <laughs> to have 10 kids is not fair because they can afford it. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's for the, the poor families to make sure that they, you know, if they can't look after a kid, they should be having kids, right? They should be, like, making sure that they can look after themselves before they should have kids. They should be. But remember, this it, we have to always think about it from the kid's perspective. So um, there is another philosopher, I've forgotten his name, but one of he has a famous sort of idea, which is that you should design a society such that you wouldn't mind entering from any place in that society. And I think if we're championing the individual, that makes a lot of sense. I mean you should basically be sort of okay, no matter if you were born to a rich person or a poor person, because as an individual, you did not do anything to cause that circumstance. I'm, I'm actually not thinking of it as like a negative situation for the child. I would say the incentives creates, you know, um, people that have the money to not have kids straight away. But if they do, like that creates this, I don't know, this little pool that can be redistributed to kids that, you know, are young and they need to be looked after in certain ways. Yeah, but you're so what but what you're doing then is you're punishing you're taking money away from families who I think this is actually the worst case scenario because you have the people who did everything they needed to do to have as many kids as they wanted to mm. and you're giving it to the people who did the exact opposite of that. <laughs> what do you mean? They're still getting so taxed for it. The poor well I mean you're not where we're how do you tax someone that you're giving free money to? I mean, let's let's assume that this person is relying on welfare money. You're giving free money to the kid. You're trying to like create programs to, if their parents fall through some like you know fall through these gates and they don't look after their kid, um, this kid can get looked after regardless of the parent. But you're taxing the parent. Who are you taxing? We're taxing all parents. Yeah. So I'm saying that that targeting of other parents doesn't seem right to me. <clears throat> yeah, and it might not really work out very well because people would start like hiding the fact they had kids and stuff, and that probably wouldn't be, <laughs> probably wouldn't be a really good idea. But it's not even that. So, I mean, man, I've never really thought about all this stuff, but <clears throat> excuse me. So, society, society loses when there's bad kids who want to come and like shoot you and take your traders. Like every, it's not just parents who suffer the consequences mm. of them. So, whatever the solution is, I don't think it can be that, and I. I'm starting to feel more sympathy for the kid as an individual. I think that um, in general, we should we shouldn't as much as possible. We should make the outcome of your life the result of your personal choice. And we know that a baby doesn't have any personal choice. I guess we've decided as a society that it's around age twenty where you are now able to make those decisions. Um, so. Does that mean that before age 20, we need to do as much as we can to give that person the opportunity <clears throat> to make all the correct decisions? And if it does, then we're going to be engaging in redistribution and abandoning, abandoning to a certain extent our other principle, which is uh, we don't expect equality of outcome and we don't want to redistribute for the purpose of equality of outcome. But I, I if think- there is a conclusion to this for me, is that we can't we just can't service um, equality of outcome and 
uh, equality of opportunity at the same time. Yeah, I think we we knew that from the beginning. Um, however, okay. we I think there's a difference between redistribution based on someone's particular situation and redistribution based on society as a whole. So, okay. Um, I think we're both in agreement that we need some kind of redistribution and it's not really related to anyone's specific position. So that, that's why you brought up the percentage tax. Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay. I, I can, so we're, we're at the hour mark, so we should probably try to Wrap come up. to a conclusion. Yeah. So I am totally okay with that. I think it's pretty fair in some sense that you just, the more you have, the more you contribute, but that sounds really bad. But you're, at least as a proportion, everyone is contributing the same amount. Seems like a good middle ground. Yeah, I think like as individuals, I mean, we can't stop as as the state. We can't stop discrimination of individuals against individuals. If I don't like you because you have more money than me, like that's just a human nature in a way. And you can obviously try and mitigate it, but you're not gonna you're not going to be able to stop it entirely, right? There's going to be people that discriminate based on that. But as the state, you can think of yourself as kind of immutable system in a way that kind of redistributes funds and helps people where it can, but it doesn't rediscriminate based on your specific situation. And mm. I'm not saying that you... I, I feel like distributing funds based on specific situations is... It creates a bad incentive in the long run. So, instead, I mean, you will have one... Like I said before, I feel like you will have the one, the two, three percent of people that you know, that don't want to go to school, that will commit crime or whatever. Um, and you have to accept there will be outliers. Otherwise, by really trying to kind of distribute it towards those one, two, three percent, you end up socializing the, the, the bottom half, basically, where the, the bottom 20, 30 percent take the bottom of it due to bad incentives. Yep. Yep. Okay, cool. So we have the first law of our island. <laughs> How would you. How would you express that law? Well, everyone pays... The, we haven't decided the percentage yet, but let's just say everyone every year pays a 5% tax on their... Now, we can get into taxation because that's a whole topic in and of itself. But yeah, a 5% tax of some kind. It's very similar to like Hong Kong or Singapore. Like they have, I think they do still have a progressive tax, but still very, very low. Right. Okay, that's cool. All right. Cool. Well, we'll see you in the next episode of The Island. Yep, thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers. Bye. That's all we have for this episode. Please follow me on Twitter at Yishontio. That's Y-I-E-S-E-A-N-T-E-O-H. If you would like to support the show in any way, for those outside of China, you can donate money at paypal.me forward slash Y-I-E-S-E-A-N-T-E-O-H or subscribe to me on Patreon. All the details are in the show notes below. For those inside of China, you can donate by scanning my Weixin or Zhifubao QR codes below. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you all next episode. And we also have a new Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Chuan Chuan Podcast. So please like and follow me there.